this morning from Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. This is the word of God for the people of God. So the leaders of the people in this text, the Pharisees and the Herodians, see Jesus as a troublemaker. I guess that is the way it goes. Anytime someone challenges the status quo and begins to ask questions about how the leadership is working and the decisions that are being made and how things are functioning, sometimes the leadership lashes out, coming back at those who have asked the questions or raised the issue. In this text today, we're told right off that those coming to talk to Jesus are plotting to entrap him. They come with ill intent. But we also should think about who's coming. Most of us don't know the difference between the Pharisees and the Herodians. It sounds like in the text that they are allies, that they're coming together as if they agree in terms of what's happening. But in this situation, it's more like the old saying that politics makes for strange bedfellows or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. It's that kind of situation. They don't actually agree on the question at hand about paying taxes to the Romans. They are actually adversaries. The Pharisees are against paying tax to the Romans. The denarius we read about has the graven image, if you will, on the coin of the emperor. They don't believe that the coin should even be on the temple grounds. They don't believe in paying the taxes, particularly using a coin with what they consider to be a graven image. The Herodians, on the other hand, represent Herod. He's the figurehead for the government of the Romans. He's the one who's cooperating with the Romans in this taxation plan. He's a collaborator with this foreign army, the foreign military that's come and taken over the Jewish people in the area where they live. They begin when they come, these Pharisees and Herodians, with false praise, acting like they're there to listen to Jesus, when in fact they're coming to try to silence Jesus. After giving that false praise in verse 17, they say, Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? He calls them out right there in front of any who want to hear. 
He knows they have not come, as they were saying, praising Him and wanting to learn from Him. They lack sincerity. They're plotting to entrap Him, to make Him look bad, to discredit Him. And He calls them hypocrites as He responds. You might think that He would have had enough and would just walk away at that point. But He goes on to say that Jesus engages them anyway. In verse 19, he says to them, show me the coin used for the tax. They brought him a denarius. In verse 20, then he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? He wants them now to give him some information. He's asking them a question rather than just answering their question. They show him the coin. They answer, it's the emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. They have come, they have set a trap for him. They're thinking he's going to say this answer or this answer, no matter which side he would go to, they are there, the other side, ready to attack, ready to discredit him trying to make him look ineffective, trying to make him look like he's the one causing the problem. But Jesus, rather than saying this side or this, says both. There in the second half of verse 21, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. They say to Jesus, what do you think? He's fond of asking others, what do you think? Which he asked them with a counter question this time as well. Remember, I suggested that Jesus asks questions and tells parables because he wants us to think deeply about our faith and our life. We've embedded that into an inspiration statement we've been using around here where we say we help people think deeply grow spiritually and love generously we believe in thinking jesus wants us to think about our faith and our life in this particular situation in the story we have today his answer seems to be you can do both you can participate in civic life as well as be loyal or have an allegiance to god be a person of faith but when he says, give to the emperor what is the emperor's and give to God what is God's, what does he mean? Does he mean give money to both? That's one interpretation. Or does he mean give money to the government but give something else to God? Or does he mean that government is illegitimate? They shouldn't even be here, so don't give anything to the government and give everything to God. Any of those interpretations might be right. I would guess there's multiple interpretations among us sitting here, and certainly there's multiple interpretations in our society about how to use our money and what kind of taxes we should pay or not and how much and how we manage the rest. What do you think? Jesus asked, what do you think? He's asking us to engage in these deep questions of faith. During October, 
We call it Stewardship Month. We ask everyone to think about a few things and to pray about them as we're all trying to determine how we can move with God into a new year. We ask you to think and pray for a few days. Some need a few weeks to determine what they want to do, how they want to participate. I put a couple of questions in your outline that we ask you to consider. How will you allocate your resources in the coming year? And what role will the work of God through Boston Avenue Church play in that plan? We each must decide, either as individuals or with our families, what part we are going to play. We all deal with financial pressures. Early in my ministry, I thought it was only the poor that dealt with financial pressures, and I thought I was pretty poor. I was right out of seminary, appointed to my first church, working as a youth director half-time. They were going to pay me $9,000 a year. And then they had a counseling center, so they had me doing some counseling with children and youth and their families. I could earn up to another $9,000 for a whopping $18,000. Now, that's not bad if you don't have any bills. But we had some bills. I had finished my education, but my wife was still going to Tulsa University. They're very proud of the offerings. They charge accordingly. The time we paid for tuition and books and supplies and made a car payment, paid some rent, bought some food. We didn't have much left. We were struggling to stay above water, to stay even, to not fall into debt. By the time we thought about giving back to God, we could not see a way. We knew the biblical standard was 10%, but we, we didn't have 10% left. We could not see how to get there. The church wasn't getting much from us in terms of dollars or percentages. At that time, I kind of rationalized that and said, well, I've given my whole life to God. I'm at the church all the time, day and night. But I knew what the biblical standard was. I knew that we needed to be giving. I knew we needed to grow in our giving. I began reading some life planning books about budgeting and finances and how to organize all of this. I realized we were doing opposite of what all of those were recommending. We were spending first and then trying to save and give. And all the books were saying that is the wrong order. They were saying save first, then spend what is left. I realized the same thing applied to our giving. In one strategy, if you begin with spending, by the time you're finished spending, there's not much left for anything else. The other strategy allows you to give first to God, to save as well, and then work out how to spend the rest after that. To use biblical language, Mary and I had to repent, not in terms of saying sorry to God, but we had to change our mind, change our direction, change our perspective in terms of how we were dealing with our finances, our faith, and our life. Save first, give first, then spend what is left. At the same time, of course, I had read some John Wesley, he talks 
like Jesus does, quite a bit about finances. He recommended to the early Methodists, gain all you can, save all you can, then give all you can. Let me read you a few sentences from what he says. Gain all you can without either hurting yourself or your neighbor in soul or body by applying hereto with unintermitted diligence and with all the understanding which God has given you. Save all you can by cutting off every expense, expense which serves only to indulge foolish desire, to gratify either the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eye, or the pride of life. Waste nothing, living or dying, on sin or folly, whether for yourself or your children, and then give all you can. Or in other words, give all you have to God. That goes right along with the wisdom of the Scriptures, I think. Do all you can to gain a good harvest, then give the first fruits of the harvest to God. Commit first to God. Give first to God, then allow all the other items that have to fit into the budget fit in as they will let god guide you and provide for you i wouldn't i can tell you it's a far superior strategy it gets you on the biblical side of the equation of giving first to god it makes everything work more effectively but all of us have to make decisions about that because all of us still have financial pressures where do you start the spending side or the saving and giving side i read some research the other day that says most americans spend about a hundred and five percent of what they earn Right? They're spending more than they're making. Credit's easy to get, but the debt that comes with it is a heavy weight to bear, which makes many other things impossible once we are trapped there. The wisdom of the ages, the wisdom of the Bible, even the wisdom of financial advisors would go along with the give first, save first, spend what is left kind of strategy. What comes first for you and your family? What are your priorities in terms of how you use your finances? Mary and I had to reset. We had to reorder some things to ever become tithers to get to that biblical standard of giving 10% of our income back to God through the church. It took us a few years to make all those adjustments because we started behind the a ball as we were beginning but we finally made it got to that point and been able to grow beyond that from there but it has so much to do with what strategy you're using to make these decisions if you want to move to the biblical side of this equation where we give first to god there's three decisions we have to make i've put them in your outline we have to do this by making a decision to connect our finances to our faith. 
by deciding to give first to God and then finally deciding how much we're willing to entrust to God ahead of time. I hope you can see it's an exercise in faith. It's an exercise in trusting God. It's an exercise in giving to God what is God's. Jesus says, give to the emperor what is the emperor's, but give to God what is God's. What do you think? Amen. And thanks be to God.